Okay. All right, sorry all about that. Bit of a workout getting here. Let's just find our place. Um, Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so if I remember correctly, we were essentially coming towards the end of the discussion with regard to <clears throat> eating meat uh, after milk. We spoke about kinuach and hadacha, and the, the last exception to the rule, or the, the last halacha, should I say, was that uh, kinuach and hadacha essentially is... Um, Washing one's mouth out with food, uh, or and washing one's hands. So we are machmir to to go for both opinions. That um, you know, kinuach would be washing your mouth out and washing your hands. This or hadacha. Sorry, there's two types of two aspects of hadacha: washing your mouth out with food and washing your mouth out with liquid. Um, that's incorporating that machloket rishonim as to what hadacha really is. And yeah. And kinuach is um, uh, kinuach is essentially um, that aspect where you like, wash your mouth out with food, and um, and hadacha would be washing your mouth out with water and washing your hands with water. So there were three things that you had to do between eating a, a milk meal followed by a meat meal. You wouldn't necessarily have to wait anything, but you'd have to do these three activities. You know, you get your mouth, you, you sort of wash your mouth out with food, so to speak. Uh, that's, that's the kinuach. And then hadacha is wash your mouth out with liquid and wash your hands. That's what, you, that's what you need to do. And I think the last point we made was that there's a famous chidush of one of the acharonim, the rashash, who says that milk, because it's liquid in, in and of itself, doesn't need you to wash your mouth out with, with solids. You don't have to eat the bread. You don't have to eat the cracker. You can just wash your mouth out and finish, and you and you're done. And others argued about it, and um, there was a, you know, there was a recommendation to possibly be machmir. But at the end of the day, um, you could uh, you you could just seriously wash your mouth out with um, with water because it's liquid, getting rid of liquid as opposed to anything else. And so that brought us now to our subject for this evening, and that is page seventy-eight. Um, Page 78, we start to see another so-called Gezeira Drabanan, which um, forces us to become, uh, to separate between um, meat and, and having, and, and mochiks, and then, and then mochiks. And this becomes the actual separation that needs to be had at a table when pe two people are eating uh, different, one's eating meat, one's eating, eating, eating milk. So uh, the question now is, is, how close can meat and milk get in, uh, in, in whether it's in storage spaces or um, in, in eating areas um, that you can, you, can you, can you do that? Like, let's say you go and have lunch in a food court or something and you've got a table over there and there's a table that, that you know, somebody in theory is eating trafe. 
on one side, you know, and you've, you've brought your meal from home and you're eating on the other side of the table. You know, you, when you're having coffee at a cafe somewhere or you're just in stomach, you're traveling at an airport, you're going anywhere. You're going to have situations where you've got a table where at the table you might have, you know, you might have kosher trade for milk and glaciers. You know, can you, can you sit there at the same table when this is, when this is happening? When you go shopping, when you go shopping in Coles, um, when you fill up your trolley, do you have a flashic trolley and a mochic trolley or you have one trolley? Why, you know, and if you're going to have only one trolley, so why are you, why are you making over there? Can you put milk and meat? What do you do when you shop? You know, do you have, do you have cheese, you know, sitting on top of your flashics when you load up the trolley? This is, these are all questions now that we have to, we have to discuss. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you've seen too many people do that. But the question is, why? What are the parameters? So let's have a look at a Mishnah, which is um, which is brought down in Masechet Chulin. Uh, the Mishnah says like this. The Mishnah says, um, achat. A person can wrap meat and cheese in one in one cloth. Uh, so in the old days, you can imagine that's how they would transport or store stuff that take a, a, a cloth, a piece of material of some sort. And we, what we would have as a, as a towel, a small kitchen towel, and you'd wrap, you'd, you'd wrap the kitchen towel around the flashik, and then you'd have the flashiks now in between two pieces of towel. And then, and then you make another movement and you can have milk in there. So you can have milk wrapped up together with meat in the same towel. As long as there's a chatzitza, as long as there's a break, between the meat and the milk. Even though the meat and the milk are cold, there's a gazera not to have them touching each other. Um, and therefore you have to separate, separate it out. So that's what the, Shukhan, that's what the Mishnah says over here. You can have both meat and milk wrapped up in one particular towel as long as they don't touch each other. If they touch, then before you eat it, you have to wash off the side that made contact. But ideally, the gazeries don't have meat and milk touching, even if the milk is cold and the meat is cold. The cheese and them, if they do touch, just wash it off. It's cold, it never gets one into the other. So you, you can do that and good to go. But ideally, you've got to make some sort of a break between them. So now, um, when, we, when we look at the Halakha in the Shulchan Aruch, um, we see this Kapaskand here, source 21, the Shulchan Aruch says, Basar Gvina Shinaguzebuze. Meat and cheese that touched each other, they are mutar, they're able to be eaten as long as you have to wash the place of contact. Um, and uh, when you put them in the same kind of towel wrap, we're not, we, we don't have a problem with that. Now, it's interesting, the Shach has a, uh, the shach has a kula here over here when he says if the foods are dry, then they don't even need rinsing at all. It's only if there was like liquid. So let's say you had a bag of milk or so a carton of milk that, that leaked or something and it was in the same, you know, ideally, of course, you wouldn't put them together, but if they were in the same basket or something, same bag carrying home from the supermarket and the one le leaked onto the other, then if it's liquid, you'd have to wash it off. But he says dry, you don't have to wash off. We seem to be a, little, a bit machmir that, um, that we, we, we wash it off even when the meat is solid, in the milk and meat is solid. Correct. It's not a problem, yeah. So, I mean, I can't imagine having 
shopping basket, but it could happen in the kitchen. Could happen, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is the big, this is the big, uh, this is not the issue of, of the shopping basket. It's uh, the idea of the shopping basket. Um, the, the idea of the shopping basket is simply playing on this particular Mishnah. It says that as long as it's a chatzitza, as long as there's a break between the milk and the meat, and you, you don't have to worry about putting them one on top of the other. They're all packaged. So the package is like the, is like the towel. So you, know, you, you, get a, you get the sliced cheese from Yumi's, whatever it is, and you, it's, in, it's, in its, it's in its container wrapped in its plastic bag, and then you've got your meat, which is coming from Melbourne, yeah, that's wrapped, put one on top of the other in the shopping basket, and you don't have a, you don't have a problem. But that's why you don't have a problem, because it's wrapped. In other words, ideally you shouldn't have them one on top of the other. But as long as there's a chatzitza in the middle, you know you you're good to go. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now the interesting part is this: this may happen in our homes here because um, generally, when you run out of space, countertop space, you've got uh, the following challenge: can you can you prepare flashics or multics on the so-called opposite countertop space? You know, let's say you've designated this part of your kitchen. This is flashing. This is milking. I mean, most of the time, but then you run out of space. What do you do? Can you use the counter space? Is there a gazera against using the same counter space for the opposite, uh, for the opposite entity? So yeah, the Mishnah comes along and says that um, if you look there in source twenty-two, the last paragraph, you know, when the, what the Mishnah is talking about, where it's prohibited to have them at the same table. Uh, the, the table that is considered prohibited to have both milk and meat at the same table is tuck a table that you're eating upon. But a table that you're preparing on, we're not worried that there's that you're going to mix it up. So you could you could you could put a snackwich machine on a flashic side and and cook it there. You know, there's no meat anywhere, or there might be meat somewhere, but we're not worried about the preparation side of things, but we do get very nervous about the eating side of things. So yeah, that, that would be a problem if it's gonna if it's tucker flashy counter. Meaning you know, sometimes you just set aside, yeah. No, if you set aside, let's say you have meat all the time and you prepare meat on a counter. If there was hot meat there, you know, then then that's a flashic area, you know. So you don't want to have hot cheese on there. So you want you gotta be careful about the hot cheese. But if it's let's say cleaned or wasn't hot or it was, you know, there's nothing there, it's more than 24. You're just using the space, the counter space. You can use the counter space. So this is what this Mishnah is telling you. The Mishnah says, 
um, that last paragraph in note 22, the, on the table that you're preparing everything, um, you can put the milk and the meat right next to each other and you don't have to worry that you're going to get mixed up and, and cause a balagan. Baking tray and no pitta pieces. The pitta pieces themselves aren't touching the top, but the hot tray that they're on is there might be something new. So it's by also what do you think in that situation? Well, you just gotta make sure that they don't touch. But you there's no specific the food. But yeah, but the milk and tray Yeah, like what I do about that. Well, if the trays are simply dry, then you don't have a problem. You know, ideally you want to keep them separate so a residue doesn't pass. But in principle, uh, you know, yeah, the point is, isn't so much about the kashrut of the issue. It's about whether there's a gazera not to do it in the first place. So if you, you know, even if there's a gazera saying, hey, you can't mix meat and milk, I mean, have them side by side, even on, an, on the same table at which you eat. Why? Because we're scared you're going to mix them up. That's a gazera. So even if you're very careful and you've got trays, you've got everything, you, just, you, you got, yeah, exactly. So there you've got to be very careful. So, at, you know, at a cafeteria or, some, or something or at a, on a university campus, wherever it is that you're having milk and meat, you know, you, you, there you have to, if you're eating at the same table, you've got to be very careful that at the same table, on the same surface, you're not allowed to have milk and meat, even if they're separated out. So, you know, we, have to, we, we aren't able to eat at the same table with milk and, and meat and meat. Oh, you can do it there, no problem. No. I mean, the dr any dry surface can't be not in time, can't can transfer taste. You have to have liquid in the middle there. Yeah, but but this is not even talking about that. This is, yeah. I think, to ask, like, just to clarify, like, let's say I have a pot of pasta, but there's no actual liquid in between, but the pot itself contains water. Yeah, as long as it's not liquid on the, on the bottom of the pot. So now the issue becomes, what if there's plain water that spills over the sink that happens to be next to the countertop? Not, not melted, not flashy, just plain water that happens to accumulate in the surface. Well, if, you, if the pot is going to heat up the water, then, then the relationship between the water creates the relationship, the transfer of taste. But there's nothing on the bottom of your of your pot, Correct. so it's clean. Once there's two clean things, okay, it's, it's fine. <laughs> no, as long as you know, when you have a when you have a pot full of food, the bottom is considered dry. If there's water underneath there, because because you know because it's still on the countertop. Then you have to ask yourself, okay, so I've got this water in the middle. There can be a transfer of taste between what's, if there's residue of food on the bottom of the pot. The actual pot itself, generally, the bottom is assumed to be clean. If it's clean, it's clean. It's only if there's foodstuffs on the bottom that whatever's on the bottom can then impact what uh, through the liquid medium. Yeah, yeah. The dr two dry entities won't impact each other unless there's some sort of Liquid that in the in the middle. There's no food. There's no food. Yeah. 
No. All right, so let's let's get on to this halach in Shulchan Aruch. You have a look in, in, in note twenty-three. The Shulchan Aruch says, "Afilu basar chayava of, you know, even meat of a wild animal or of a bird." If somebody's eating a milchik meal at a table, you can't come along and, and have a fleshik meal right next to them. And the reason that we uh, understand this gazera to be uh, practical is that you know you shouldn't you shouldn't come to eat it together. So in other words, the chashash is is that a person will forget themselves and uh, and and either share their food or pick at somebody else's food, and you're going to eat basar b'chalaf together if you're sitting at one table. So now we're going to have to clarify what that means exactly. Why would you pick at somebody's food? You know, so, you know, why would you just do that? Looks, it's not your food. So um, this, this is the big nafkamina um, that we have between between uh, sort of countertop scenarios and and table scenarios, um, and, and this is this is part of the point that we're going to now discuss is why would you take somebody else's food? Well, if you're friendly with the person, then ah, you don't mind. You that's like sharing food. So if you have two people who are friendly with each other sitting sitting at the table, we 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 got a problem. And if we even if we if they're not friendly. Well, you can say, well, one second, we don't know each other. I'm not going to take your food if I'm not friendly with you. You know, so if you've got two, if you've got two strangers, at, you know, this could be the question. Does, does the stranger danger exist, you know? Or, or, or is, it the, is it no? Yeah. So if you say that there's two people who are, who are next to each other that know each other well, then you've got to be nervous because everybody's going to be sharing each other. Oh, that looks nice to me, taste, you know? But if you if you if you have if you have stranger a stranger there, no, I might not, I'm not going to not touch that person's food. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I might. Uh, so if I have, I've got to be more machmir with myself. If we are eating in a group of people who know each other, and it's, you know, so if you go, if you, I don't know, if you had a cafeteria somewhere, in the food court, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so if we if we're sitting at the same table, I'm having McDonald's and you're having aroma. So that... <laughs> a lot of those days in Israel because you would trade in the designated cafe, which happens to also resolve some of the public issue with someone having yeah, so that's the, so. This is the idea that we have to now discuss. We've got to we've got to work out how two individuals can eat at the same table, where one person, even when you know each other, right, and and you've got to be able to be happier that you, there's something that's that's going to warn you um, not to have the not to eat the the wrong thing. So this is exactly what we would do in the world of the the harachot of nida. You have to have a siman on the table. So sometimes a tray might be a siman. But if a tray is considered, you know, part and parcel of the meal, meaning that it's, you know, it's like like you at the airport, you might say, well, the tray is not good enough because you go. So then you've got to you got to like put something that's not part of the meal, you know, on the table. So it's the same thing in the world of harachot. You know, if there's only two of you at home, 
and uh, you want to eat at the same table, etc. So you should put a either have a, a, a placemat which you don't normally have, or a tray which you don't normally have. But it, or yeah, yeah. So so in the old days it was uh, it was like you know something I don't know a vase of flowers, you know if, whatever it was. It was a siman that you created. So the same thing is true over here with all these gzairot. You have to have some sort of something that that designates it as a um, as a siman that you should be careful. And and it seems to be that Chazal were not worried about the fact that you needed a siman uh, when you yourself were preparing the food. There wasn't enough of a social there um, that that somehow would get you to not be careful and to help yourself to something else. So on your countertops where you're preparing, there's no gzaira to separate out. Milk and meat. I mean, there's always, there's, you know, if a person does know themselves to be, uh, you know, if you know yourself to be somebody who does do these things, then you've got to, then you, you've always got to make sure that, you know, it's your habits. You gotta you gotta knock it on the head, but yeah, let's call it the general rule. The assumption that the, the, the assumption is that no one's going to make a mistake on a on a counter serving counter, um, but at the same table when you're sitting down and you're relaxed and it's social, then people yes will make a will make a mistake. So this is why um, this is why the 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 mission over here. Have a look on page uh, eighty. When the mission says in note 25, two, two unacquainted guests, you know, they can eat. So he says that if they're people who don't know each other, then the assumption is you won't socialize enough to switch foods. Um, but if you know each other well, then you can't just um, have meat and milk at the same table. You have to you have to create a siman in order in order for that to in order for that to happen. Um, okay, so fine. Um, you got to create some sort of a hefsek. You got to you know if there's a screen there. I don't know exactly what you would do, but um, you'd have to create you have to create some sort of a siman or a hefsek between. Um, you know, between the two, the two the two people. Okay. Now, um, once once we once we know that this is true, um, we then we then understand as follows that it's also possible that you can sit at one table without a, a hefsek or even without a siman if it's impossible to actually reach the food. So if you've got a big table. And you can say, listen, you know, we had a picnic spot and there's this family on this side of the picnic spot. And so then, you know, you, there you could say, okay, the gap between the people is also kind of a way that would, uh, and, that, and that's what we pass on like as, as well. Um, the, the interesting point is, is that, you know, sometimes we have this din that uh, you're not allowed to eat food or a meal within a half an hour of, uh, of davening time. Um, so that you won't get stuck into a meal and then forget to go and daven. So there's a number of these kinds of scenarios where the timing factor can become an issue and you'll forget. 
So what do we what do we do to get around that? Let's say you want to eat, you've got a very tight schedule, you've got to eat. So you you've got to ask somebody in your family to be a shomer. It's like, look, I know I'm not supposed to eat within half an hour for mincha, but it's either my kavua mincha, I always go there, or you set an alarm, or you ask your wife, say, listen, please remind me, and you know, so you have a shomer, that's something that can help. Yeah, it's interesting that many of the poskim paskin, it doesn't help for you. It doesn't help. Maybe they're, they're that worried that if you're right next to somebody and you're friendly with them, it doesn't help to have somebody as a shomer watching you, saying, hey, don't touch there, don't, don't, don't touch there. So that's a, a psak that they bring down here from Rabbi Akiva Ega as well. Um, now, yeah, they, they have a, they have a shayla that's They discuss whether a person wants to eat Mulchiks at a table where there's already basar on it, but there's nobody there. Um, and he has a machlok and achronim whether this is allowed. Um, there's nobody to remind you, there's no one to, you know. So, um, yeah, in the case of uh, if, if, you want, if you're appointed a shomer in this, you know, in this kind of interesting instance, then it might be, it might be okay, if it's, you know. So, this is discussed over here, you can read it. In the in the notes here, at the bottom of page eighty-two, um, <clears throat> there's even a shaila here in the Prima Gaudium in note thirty-two, um, which questions whether a person who's flashic and waiting in their six or three hours can you uh, sit next to somebody who's eating the you know cheese? So if you had meat, and now you've got somebody who's eating milkix, can you sit right next to them when you have a you know you have a you know, you might you might come along and help some of their stuff. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we're lenient about that. So if you've had flashics and, uh, you know, your wife's having Maltesers sitting at a table with a cup of tea or coffee, you can sit down there in the... Okay, so now, um, this, this, this next section that we look at is probably quite practical. In the old days, for sure, it would be an interesting one. But in our days, for sure, when you're stacking a fridge of leftovers and you've got flashics and milchiks together, you know, can you put them next to each other? Do they have to be covered in containers or do, with a, I don't know, with a, with, you know, with a tinfoil covering or something, glad wrap, or can it be uncovered as well? So this, yeah, um, is the, the Shulchan Aruch writes as follows. You can put in a container shell basar shell chalaf. So if it's all if it's all separated out and it's in two different containers, then there's no chashash for for mixing up, and therefore you can put them in close proximity, you know, to, next to each other in whatever form of of storage you're going to you're going to have. So if, for example, you're going on a you're going on a flight and uh, you're trying to work out, okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to get my kosher food, so you ask for two types of sandwiches to be made. You know, there's your salami, poloni, meat sandwich, and then there's your milchik cheese and tomato sandwich. So as long as they are in bags, you know, Ziploc bags, or the equivalent, then there's no problem stacking both of them in your in your hand luggage together because it's in, it's in, it's containers are there. You know, so even though it's, you know there's like bumping and shaking just by picking things up, as long as it's in a container, in a fridge, one could argue that it's a very stable environment. How much spillage is happening in fridges? Um, th this often can depend on your household. If you've got young kids, one could argue, oh, they, 
putting their hands in there all the time, and therefore spillage is more uh, is more probable in, in a in a mature home. You know, you'd say, well, you know, maybe it's not that it's not that uh, I don't have to even cover the mulchiks inside there. You know, so you just I don't know for health reasons, maybe you'd want not to, but but in principle, from a lucky point of view. Right. So if the if the spillage is is if the spillage is <laughs> if the spillage is probable, then for sure you got to cover. But there is an actual interesting discussion here um, whether uh, you know whether or not it has to be covered. In fact, the Svadim Ravajo say seems to be lenient over here. Um, that uh, you got to be you got to be careful. So um, okay. Um, So in a normal environment where you're putting it into the fridge, you can say, listen, it's a stable environment. Do I, have to, I don't have to be worried that one's going to spill onto the other. You know, if you put the one on top of the other, okay, you know, it's not going to forbid it at all, but you just have to ask yourself the question. Um, okay, so the Ashkenazim or Machmir, that's how you should cover. And, and, and the Sephardim or, or Mekil. So you try and have some sort of cover over various containers that are either fleshic or muchik if they're out next to each other in the you know in the, in the fridge. Which part? Yeah, so that's that was just said, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so some people are machmir about closed containers, but as long as they're closed, we 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 pretty make it in the end. Um, like if you have a look at the bottom uh, note thirty-seven, so at the end, Ashkenazim may place closed containers of meat and dairy next to each other in general. Um, so. You, you just got to, in principle, you can, but if there's any con concept of a spillage or something, then you might, uh, you might have to change that. Okay. Um, the question of different drawers, you could become very machmer, and some people might want to do this. You have fleshic drawers or fleshic areas of the, of the fridge as opposed to milky ones. But in principle, um, you, could, you can be makil on this. Okay. We move on to another interesting halacha, separating out milk and meat. And this, um, this became quite a big story, especially when uh, you're catering for, uh, for people. And this is the idea of having milk pastries or milk bread. There's a special gazera against having milk bread. You never bake milk bread. You're always scared that the bread's going to be used for flashings as well. You're going to make a mistake. So... We have this din, Chazal made a decree that you're not allowed to have bread of one type or the other. The bread's got to be, got to be what you call, fleshik or mochik. Dairy bread. Yeah, because you'll see that even though you, we do have mochik pastries, right? you, can, you know, we get them. So the question is, how do we do that? What's the, what's the simon of change, of distinction that we use when we're trying to make uh, pastries uh, that are that are milchik or fleshik. You know, you make your deli roll or pierogan or whatever it is. You have to. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna learn the the basic distinction here um, with 
how they how they uh, differentiated one with the other. And once it's obvious that the pastry that you're eating um, is milchik or fleshik, then you're okay. It's we worried about make cooking baking dairy and milchik bread or fleshik bread, and it's the same shape size um, that you'd normally make for a you know for a for a meal. That we don't do. So we, all our bread is basically paraf. You know, when it comes to Shavuot, you, you might have an interesting point there as to what, as to what you do. It's, we also don't like using one loaf of bread for the next, right? Um, from the milk to the fleshic, same loaf of bread. We want to separate them out as well. But um, uh, essentially over here, there's an interesting, yeah, the Mishnah starts off by telling us that Rabbi Yeshua told his sons as follows. Um, it was happened to be a first night Pesach. So he said, don't, um, don't bake bread for me or knead for me, dough with milk. But afterwards you can. So the Gemara wants to know what, you know, isn't there a problem with doing this? Um, forget Pesach, the whole year round, you're not allowed to knead dough with, with milk. Uh, and if you did do that, you weren't allowed to eat the, the, the bread at all. Um, because you might mix it up with, you have it together with flashings. Um, so yeah, this is very interesting. So the, the last line of the paragraph there, number 40 says, so Ravina answered up what was going on here. Ravina said, if the bread that you are making milchik is ka'ain tura, it's like um, ka'ain tura, it's like the, an ox's eye, then it's, then it's permissible. You know, so what, What's, what does it mean, the, ox of a, the eye of an ox? What, what, what does it mean exactly? So yeah, it's interesting that the Rashi and the Rambam have different approaches to what this means. Now, Rashi comes along and says that Ka'ain shall shore, the eye of a, an ox is small. So in other words, if you're making something which is uh, able to be eaten in one shot, you know, like a kind of a bun, a bareka or something, then that shape, that size, is mutar to be made milchiks. Person will look and see such a thing. Who makes such a small piece of bread? You know, no one does. Ah, it's, it's, it's some, some kind of interesting dish. I need to find out what it is. It's not normal bread to have bread that small. You know? So Rashi, Rashi interprets this uh, metaphor of an ox's eye in terms of its size. Um, whereas the Rambam thinks it's a the, the eye of an ox is just a metaphor for a unique feature. They say, oh, this is very unusual. They say, if it's got distinctive shape or something on it, then that would be mutar. And that's how we get to our milchik pastries, that we don't make them the size of, bre of, the, of bread, and they have a distinct shape. So we probably incorporate both Rashi and Rambam together. So what, what happens in Israel, for example, is that... I'm not the biggest Bereka fan at all, but if you're into Berekas yeah, and you want to know what's a par of Bereka and what's a milchik Bereka, most people or most places that have a mashgiach of kashus teaching them what to do will simply tell you, make the par of Berekas square or, or rectangle and the milchik Berekas with a shape, triang triangular. So you should be able to tell straight away what's milchik and what's flashing. So as far as the Rambam is concerned, the shape would be a, a determining feature. 
according to Rashi, the size would be the determining feature. So you've got to be able to eat the, you've got to be able to eat it, you know, in 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 one in one shot. So it would be interesting to um, to see what Rashi would say. Uh, what, what what's the definition of the size? Like how small is small? You know, when you bake a challah for Shabbos, you know, it's a big piece of a big loaf of bread. So what what's the definition? Um, so the Ramah comes along and says the following. Um, the Ramah says that um, it just talks about Shavuot at the, at the bottom of page, uh, um, note 43. He says, um, the Minag is to make bread with Mulchiks for Shavuot. Um, or people used to have fleshic bread um the the fat the schmaltz would be fleshic for for shabbos but as, because it's considered small um and the shape would be would be different as well so the question is what you know what's small so the shulchan Aruch writes that um it must be be able to be eaten in one shot but the ramah comes along and says anything that can be eaten within a day is considered small so you can have a very big bareka have one bite you know, for breakfast and another bite for tea. And, you know, that would still be, even though it's more than one bite, you'd still be okay with it, which is, uh, it can get a little confusing because the, there's a big size. What do you, but as we know from Shabbos, I don't know what happens in your home, but there's always leftovers from challah on Shabbos, right? So you don't eat the, you don't eat the challah over one, over one day. Yeah, so, you know, anyway. Bread suggests like I've seen very, very large dairy pastries for sure that were not intended for just one person, but wouldn't be able to eat it that one person in a day. Well, a, a, that's like a pastry bread. dish is different. But it looks like it, it, it's probably made out of bread. Yeah, that could be. It's just that the nature of the the nature of the shape and the size of it will tell you, you know, straight away that it's something different. And then you'd have to. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually was at an event once where they did not unknowingly make milk. I didn't happen not to make and there were a few other people at the event that, that essentially looked spread like the color is, so they, they made it. They shouldn't have done. Well, people would put a simon on it. They should, if, they, if you're sensitive to this, at the very least, make it recognizable that there's something on there, like, you know, like when you make shusel challah, I don't know if you have that custom, you know, so some people will, will make a simon on the challah that, with, with a key at the top, you know, or like when you go, when we, when we used to have catsies, right, and we were buying pars, how did you know which par was what? Well, they're all the same shape. But you learned that the one with the knob on the top was, I don't know, steak and mushroom. And the one that was plain was, was uh, pe pepper steak, whatever. And the one, you know what I'm saying? You, the one that was a different shape, the round shape, one was a regular meat bar. The shape or the simon has a big thing, a big role to play over here. So if you're ever making, you know, milchik biscuits, whatever it is, generally the shape, number one, and the size of it is going to help you out. The minute you start getting fancy with, you know, you had extra challah dough, and yeah, and you had mochik babak, and the babka, so the shape has to tell you, or the you know the actual container must tell you. 
whether it's if it's if it's mochik. Yeah, but they're not big because you can eat them in one shot. Yeah, because you can eat them in one shot doesn't matter. But if you want to making if you're making it out of, I don't know if you're making, not if you're not making it sweet and it's still a mozi, you know, then you might have a have a question there. You got to be careful. So bottom line is, what are, what are we saying over here? There's a special gazera against making bread fleshik or mulchik. Or uh, we, you know, we have a chashash. We worry that you're going to mix it up. So in, if you're going to do it, you're going to need to make a siman, right? So you have to you have to have a the the bread has to have a unique form, some sort of a some sort of a shape, um, in order for people to be able to to recognize um, what the difference is. And number two. Uh, you should be able to see it from the top. You should be able to see if it's big enough. You should see a siman on, on the top. What that 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 is not normally the, a normal challah that you that you're having. You can maybe stick a sign on it. You can stick a sign on it. In the old days, I don't know if you remember, they actually like they were like anti-Semitic signs. Remember, like you couldn't get the sign off. They put the label on there. Yeah, in the old days, yeah. It was yeah. It was yeah. They like. Yeah. You had to destroy the challah in order to get the challah, right? You're like, because it wasn't whole anymore, because you had to like rest the whole challah off there. Yeah. So, sorry, Brother Blackman, it just seems that with regards to bread specifically, it's not that uh, we expect, accept both the leniencies of um, both the size and a simon, but the fact is that we actually need both. It's not that either will do. Well, it's mamish milk and bread. If you have mamish milchig bread, you don't want to be making more than what you plan to use for whatever the occasion is. You don't want it being left over. Yeah, but halakhically, is there gzaira not to do it in the first place? So if, if the amount that you're making looks exactly the same as a regular challah, but if the amount that you're making can be eaten in one day, then the Rama is very lenient on that, which you know is somewhat surprising. You could, you could make our loaves of bread most people don't eat them in a day. So you yeah. would almost be able to say that, you know, that's a small loaf, but it isn't really. We, you know, you, you know, maybe a roll, a roll is more susceptible to the Ramaz halacha than, than a challah, you know, because a challah you'd eat in, sorry, the, you know, the roll you'd eat in one day, that you can't make mochik. But a big roll, a big challah, piece of challah, Yes, you might be able to if you're just going according to the size. But if you want to, if you want to have, um, you know, if if you want to, if you have some sort of simon that the bread is different, then then um, then you're okay. So you got, as long as you make a simon, you know, you're you're okay. But with bread, it's I mean, one tricky thing with bread is that once once you've started it, it's kind of hard to tell the simon like so for example the example is shlisl challah which isn't you know it's, it's once you've started breaking it apart you can't tell that it was a key the little bits of bread yeah, so then what, right. what, what goes a simon yeah that's a good point what happens if you actually have a simon but the simon disappears when you start eating right? that is a good question as to how far you go that, that's, that's, why, why I, that's why I think you need both. <laughs> you need that yeah. it definitely needs to be a small amount and it also need, and it needs to have a simon. Yeah, so this is, um, this is possible why also just having a sticker on it 
or a mm. kind of a sign also might be a problem because um, the the change or the siman doesn't help, you know, after it's baked. You need the siman while it's baked. So in other words, you know, because as you as you point out, um, you know, to make a change after the after the loaf has already been baked, that already is a problem because you weren't allowed to bake that kind of bread in the first place. So you got to you got you got to work out how to do it. Right, if you have a different color bread. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Eat colored bread. Mm. Um, so the, 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 there's, an, there's an interesting footnote about this uh, sticker on the bread. If you have a look on page um, 88, right at the bottom, in footnote number nine, the question of this, uh, the question of this inserting a sticker into the bread. Um, so yeah, the, the editors here bring as follows. Um, sort of Asik apparently held that it was mutar based on what happened in previous generations. Whereas others held it was as a problem and wasn't enough to to permit it, so they send you to various articles over here, which I haven't had a chance to read, um, uh, as to what would help as a as a siman. Um, so yeah, you see at the bottom of the of the footnote there, they talk about all the fancy breads that are made today, um, you know, dairy bread baked in a in a you know in a, in a bakery. When there's when there's raisin bread, a cinnamon bread, um, all these different muffins. Anyway, uh, it, it all revolves around this issue of how much of a siman needs to be made and when and when already is it noticeable. So if you're gonna make cupcakes or cookies, whatever it is, you're gonna, you know, the shape already tells you from the beginning that it's not bread, there's not bread, turmeric is gonna not bread. So that would be the machmir, that would be the machmir approach. The makil approach would be even if you stuck a sticker in afterwards. It would it would still it would still work. Um, okay, so that's um, that's as far as the so there's a specific gzera not to make um, not to make um, a bread you know either milkik or fleshik. Um, the the last question that we'll deal with is yeah that's a different thing. The other interesting thing is, does this gzaira that Hazal made on making milchik or fleshik bread, does it apply to other things, other types uh, of food as well? That, um, you know, if, uh, you know if, if food that's not made with, with uh, like, like the pies and the barekas and all these things. So there we, we, we end up being, you know, we end up being makel and saying, look, Hazal only had this uh, decree for bread and Nothing else that looks like bread, so that's why we are machmil today. So the gzeira only applies to actual bread, you know, um, and not to anything else. Um, okay, so that's that. Let's see a last question over here. Um, so yeah, Ravad Yosef writes as follows. 
the last note on page 90, even though Chazal forbade kneading dough with milk, lest one come to eat the bread with meat, nevertheless it is permitted to knead dough for a sweet cake with sugar and milk or butter. This is because it's not usually eaten together with the meat dish due to its sweetness, but rather it's eaten as a dessert after the meal. Likewise, it is permitted to make chocolate with milk or butter, um, but uh, one should mark on the wrapper of the chocolate that it contains milk. Okay, so that's a lot of our minhagim now about labeling food and, and, and the shapes of how we cook things all came as a result of this particular gazera, not to create, uh, to separate meat out from milk, even with, with, uh, with bread. Okay, so, um, I mean, Ravadja generally paskins for both, but he tells you normally when there's a difference. But um, yeah, we're pretty good. All right, so we'll leave this uh, section um, now here, and then we'll get, please God, next week, we'll, we'll talk about the separate tablecloth issue at, uh, you know, that we have. Tablecloths, there's also kind of a unique din with tablecloths, um, you know, so we'll, we'll get that, and then I think we'll more or less have covered at least the, the second section of Basal B'chalaf. So the first section was how long to wait, and then the second section was all the various gazeras separating, uh, separating milk and meat uh, out. Okay, beside us, so we'll, sorry about the late start and the confusion in this wonderful building, but it's, it's all being used, the building, which is really good. All right, have a good evening, everybody. Thank you very much, Rabbi Blackman. Cheers, eh? Lala Tov. Shkar, be well.